Hello and welcome to Pioneering People. I'm Morvan McIntyre and this is a podcast series where we will talk to some of the most innovative entrepreneurs, people who have paved their own way and become pioneers in their industry. This week, our guest is Julie Grieve, a Scottish entrepreneur best known for setting up Crichton in 2016. There's some great statistics. I'm an ambassador for Women's Enterprise Scotland and as a self-employed woman, we pay ourselves generally 33% less than our male counterparts. And, and that's just something that I would say fundamentally every woman I know is we don't pay ourselves enough. <laughs> and it's frustrating because when, you, when I saw that statistic, I kind of smacked my head a bit and went, don't, yep, that's probably true. Crichton allows hotels and service departments to simplify the digital experience for their customers, providing an app which wraps all their guests' information into a single branded portal that guests can download from their own phone. Among other things, Julie is a member of the merchant company and she was on the master's court for three years. She is also a director of women in tourism and sits on Her Majesty's Culture and People Advisory Board. Julie's extensive wider community work is also worth noting, as Julie was an aftercare advisor for the Princess Trust Youth Business Scotland and shared the Edinburgh division. Today I'll be talking to Julie about why she wants others to see entrepreneurship as accessible and why work-life balance is something she's still figuring out. So stay tuned for all of that. So on our second episode, I'm very proud to announce that we have Julie Grieve from Crichton. Hi Julie, how are you? I'm really well, thank you. So Julie, you studied business studies at Edinburgh Napier University and you graduated in 1996. What were your aspirations back then? Oh, aspirations. I think I did an HND in business studies when I came out of school and then I went straight into work. But I realised that Uh, To get on in my career, I probably was going to need a degree. So I went back and did my business studies degree at night school. And at that point, I was really interested in business generally. And I found the whole going to night school with mature students really great experience. And so I think aspirationally, I wanted to get on. I didn't know what that looked like, but I knew that I wanted to progress in my career. And probably that meant being in management and uh, working in business because I saw it as exciting and lots of different things to do. Your first full-time job was a deputy to the executive director for the Institute of Chartered Foresters. How did you come across that job and did you enjoy your time there? It was quite an interesting learning curve. So it was a membership organisation, not-for-profit, uh, working in sustainability of forestry is all about sustainability and uh, because I was number two I literally did everything so um, I had an assistant working with me and I worked with the deputies PA but we basically ran the organisation together so it was a great way to learn how to manage customers but our customers were with us a lot we also ran exams for the study body so a, a huge wealth and I got to run study tours and conferences and really getting your head around how a business operates from beginning right through to the end. So I did really enjoy it. But I think at that point I was very much, I would go, I saw roles as going in cycles. And once I had done done something two or three times, I was kind of ready to move on. You know, it's like the first time you do it, you're like, oh my goodness, that's quite hard. Second time you learn a bit more third time you're like I've got that down I'm ready to move on now so at the end of that role I think it was just two and a half three years I felt I had learned everything I could in that role and was ready to move on. 
And after that, you worked at Abbey Business Centres Limited from 2001 for almost 10 years. And you were the managing director for six years there. You turned the company from a loss making to profit in under 18 months, increased turnover and then sold the business in 2010. That all sounds very impressive, but exhausting at the same time. Did a part of you think I'm doing all these great things like running a business? I could do this for myself. Yeah, certainly it was a great learning experience and learning curve because I had gone into the business and worked my way up to become managing director. So I really knew it ground up and I did when I took over, I fundamentally felt that we could make a big difference and turn it back to profit. And I did become a shareholder, so I guess I had some equity in the business, although I was a minority shareholder. But it did, I had a lot of freedom, but I also had a boss. So I think it helps you understand that you need to be able to influence people and take them with you to get done what you believe is the best way to do it. And I think that's one of the lessons, even if you run your own business like I do now, you always have to take, whether it's the board or your team, you have to take people with you and help them understand where you want to get to. And around this time, you also joined as a member of the merchant company sitting on the audit and risk committee and the education board. And as I previously mentioned, served on the master's court. It's a big responsibility and something you've done for 16 years now. Uh, What does the role involve and why have you chosen to be part of this company for an extensive length of time? Well, I joined it in 2003 at the recommendation of a friend of mine. And at that time, it was great. I was really traveling a lot with Abby and it was the thing that kind of kept me centered in Edinburgh. It meant I continued to have a network in Edinburgh. And, you know, when I eventually stopped, sold Abby and was back in Edinburgh full time, it was great to still have that network. But the merchant company does amazing work, both in schools and with the frail and elderly and charity. And so there's a lot to get your head and teeth around and into. And it's been super interesting to see an organisation that was started in like the 1500s and how it, how it makes itself still relevant in this day and age. You know, so the ownership of the schools and how it's, it's the biggest educator, private educator outside of one of the livery companies in London. But it also has about 200 pensioners that it gives a stipend to and make sure that they're looked after. And I think that's why I've been involved for such a long time. And now I'm a member and I I sit on a committee of the Association of Assistants, which is about people who've been on court and then have come off. And how do we gather that knowledge and actually really help those people continue to make a difference to the city of Edinburgh? So that's why I've been in it for so long. I absolutely love it. And it does amazing work. And it's so so few people know about the merchant company as a livery company in Edinburgh and that the tradition and the history and all that it does is really really interesting. And that all sounds like great work and your next job was the chair of the Business Centre Association and what did this involve? So I went on to the board of the Business Centre Association when I was the managing director of Abbey Business Centres and then eventually I was asked to take on the chair role and that was it's a pro bono role to run the organisation which looks after all the business centres or is the lobbying body for all the business centres in in the UK and I was doing that at the same time as running Abbey and I think with all membership organisations and lobbying bodies it's really about taking your turn when you're in a role where you have to take your turn to make sure that the industry is represented at government level and at that point there was big changes to the rates 
system across the UK. It was really having an impact on all of the business centres in the UK and profitability. And, you know, we were in recession, you know, the financial crash had hit. And so I felt very much that I wanted to do my part to make sure that I was standing up for our industry and the part that the Business Centre Association and the business centre sector plays in the success of small to medium-sized enterprise and the success of the economy. It was a really interesting role, but very pertinent to the fact that I was a managing director of a serviced office company. And your work kind of within the wider community doesn't just stop at the merchant company. You also work with the Princess Trust, which is about helping young people start their own business and guiding them through the startup phase. Why was it important for you to become involved and did it then inspire you to set up your own business? Very much so. So I have always had mentors in my career, people who have either been my boss or I've met and I've been fortunate to gain understanding and knowledge from their experience. They've given me time, you know, coffee once a month, whatever that is, so I can just go and chat. And so when I was asked to become a mentor, for the Princess Trust in Edinburgh, I was delighted to do it. And it, it is very much about helping young people who are starting their own business and giving them the benefit of your experience. And then I went on to become chair of the region. And I think when you mentor anyone, but particularly young business people and their enthusiasm, it, it really helps you see how you could take a risk, how young people in particular are probably much more gung-ho around about getting on and getting it done and you know they don't have any anything holding them back so although they lack experience what they lack in experience they are totally overrun with enthusiasm and every time I mentored someone I thought oh you learn a lot about yourself when you're doing it and definitely I mentored a couple of businesses that were SaaS businesses software as a service businesses and I thought it's a great business model, I really like it. So when I had the idea for Crichton, I had already worked around about technology businesses and, and I guess it gave me a bit of confidence that maybe I could do it myself. And when you were young, as we were talking about earlier, kind of your aspirations when you were younger, did you kind of imagine that you'd ever be an entrepreneur? Well, my parents were very entrepreneurial. In fact, when I was 12, my parents became bankrupt and we lost everything. So although I could see the... The benefits of it, of being your own boss, of, you know, having charge of your own destiny. I guess there was also a part of me that had seen the downsides and how tight money was after the bankruptcy. We had to move. We were in rented accommodation for a while. We lost everything to the bank. And I think there was part of me that thought I would never take that risk because I could remember all of it. And yet, actually, when it came to it, I think... I did as much as I could to mitigate the risk when I started Crichton, but I was ready to do it. So, I mean, entrepreneur as a term is always a funny one for me because it feels like some American person, you know, running a Google, for example, and, and it's hard to see myself in that role. But if you think about wanting to run your own business, wanting to grow something from scratch, that's absolutely what I've always wanted to do. I've always wanted to get involved and roll my sleeves up and really grow something so 
yes. I probably wouldn't have said I wanted to be an entrepreneur, but I guess looking back at it. And after working with the Princess Trust, you worked as the chief executive of Lateral City Apartments for almost three years in the tourism and hospitality industry, which is now the industry that you've chosen to set up your own business in. What drew you to that particular sector? I went to meet the owner of Chris Stewart Group, which was the property developer that was developing what is now Lateral City. And he was looking for someone to come in and operate the service departments he was building and at that point I had come out of Abbey and which was basically an operator so I could see the parallels between running a serviced office business and running a service department business and also mum and dad when we were growing up had a, had a pub with rooms and a restaurant for a while and I had a holiday home and so I guess I, I liked the industry and as soon as I went into it I really liked it because the immediacy of hospitality you get feedback right away and if you don't sell your room the money's gone so there's a constant battle to make sure that your pricing is right against your competition and within the market at that time but also you have such an impact on people's holidays or work you know someone's traveling for work and things aren't right so there's that sort of perpetual challenge to make sure that you're meeting your different segments and you're on it all the time so I thoroughly enjoyed it and I learned a lot and it's that's where I had the idea for Crichton. And I can imagine in the hospitality industry it's very people-based as well. You're always getting, as you were mentioning, customer feedback and working with customers. Is that something as well that drew you to the industry? Definitely. I think it's, it, as I say, it's amazing the impact you can have on someone's day, holiday, life, celebration. You know, hotels in particular are all about people being away from home and so making sure that they have a great experience but that it's special so I love that and also you're looking to build a team who want to embrace providing hospitality service I think is completely underrated as a role in our society but giving someone a great time when they're away from home is something that shouldn't be underrated and so the feeling that you got when you provided that so say for a wedding you know when the bride was getting dressed for the wedding and and something your team had done that made it really special for her there's no feeling in the world like that it's fantastic so we've talked a lot about your journey in hospitality and if we fast forward to 2016 when you founded Crichton what was the motivation for setting that up? When I was running Lateral City, the uh, weekend before we were opening, I was running around basically like a headless chicken, getting everything ready for opening and preparing the in-room guest directory, which is that book that's in every hotel room and service department room that tells you what time breakfast is and check out and if you're lucky, some useful information about what to do. And because Lateral City and Old Town Chambers in particular was a very old building, I had wanted to include information on the building. It's got the oldest house you can sleep in, in in Edinburgh so I had spent a lot of time preparing it and putting it in these amazing bound folders and went into the room and then a couple of weeks later one of the restaurants that I recommended closed or changed hands and I realized that actually by that time we knew what people were asking and maybe some of it some of the information needed to change and so I had 50 apartments where I had to go and change all these books and they were already you know starting to get crumbs people eat their breakfast over them when they're reading them or spill their coffee or whatever. So I started to think that information really could do with being digital and it would be good if it could be on our guest phones before they arrived and when they're out and about because you don't want to carry an A4 binder with you to remind you of which great restaurants were recommended. 
So I looked around to see if I could have an app for the business and the quote was eight and a half thousand pounds and then like old-fashioned websites every time I wanted to change something in the content I had to pay the developer and I sort of thought that's too expensive and it just didn't seem flexible enough for me so I googled WordPress for apps so I wanted to basically build my own and it didn't exist and really that's where the idea from Crying came from was about giving guests and hoteliers a cost-effective way to have digital information on their phone but also to then start to be able to message your guests to give them access information check in anything that they would want all in one place and you've touched on this already but explain a bit about your company and who your customers are so Crichton's a guest engagement platform what we do is we simplify digital transformation in hotels so that allows them to offer their guests the perfect digital guest journey everything on their phone end to end and that helps hotels to maximize their guest spend and we work typically with four and five star resorts hotels who've got multiple restaurants F&B activities things that you as a guest want to know about so whether that's a spa or golf or just different types of dining and those hotels the hotels that work with us are really looking to embrace digital and offer their guests a way an option of how the guest interacts with the hotel because they understand that you know everyone nowadays interacts with their phone all the time and if you're traveling you will be using your phone for your boarding pass you're probably ordering your taxi on it you might be checking your train times whatever and then in a hotel scenario we still have to go and stand in a queue to check in so it's about helping hotels digitize that whole process and we bring all of the guest facing technology or all of the technology a guest would interact with in that guest journey into one place to make it easy for the guest and through doing that as I say the great thing is hotels help their guests spend more money which is how we make money. And you're talking a lot about tech there and kind of digitizing a lot of things were you someone who had a kind of tech-minded brain or is this something that you you'd mentioned the Princess Trust and mentoring people who were kind of looking to get into those industries did that knowledge then come into it or a lot of people might be listening thinking oh I want to come up with a new tech idea but I'm not too tech minded how did that come about for you? I'm not a developer I'm not a software developer but I guess I have always had a technical frame of mind so what I would say is I've always been tech support in the family you know so if somebody had a computer problem probably it would phone me to ask them how to fix it so I'm interested in how computer works a computer works and I'm interested in databases and how how you use what's in a database to actually understand or provide something but I'm not technical so I'm not 100% sure what made me think that I could run a, sit up and run a technology company I guess I've never thought about technology as anything other than an enabler so when hotels say to me I'm not sure what technology I should have I say know what are your business goals and how can technology underpin that how can technology help you deliver so whether that's better guest experience reduce cost to serve having the information to help you offer more to your guests that's what technology should do it shouldn't be the center point it should be the underpinner for for delivering your strategy and I can imagine that setting up the business means that you encountered many challenges what were they and what did you learn from them oh many challenges I think the biggest challenge has been about getting the right people in place 
when you're a startup, you know, when we started, I had £140,000 to invest in the business. And I was I was able to leverage that through some grants from Scottish Enterprise and then eventually raised, raised funding. But getting the right people at the right time in place has been hard. And I think looking back at times where things weren't going well, it was really about not having the right skills in the business to help me get where I wanted to get to. And I guess what you learn in that is that people are business and I have an amazing team now and it feels so different because you really feel like you can, people can get on and everything slots in place. Whereas when it's, when that doesn't feel right, you know that it's not quite right. And maybe you're thinking, what is it? What's not quite right here? And it is generally down to having the right people. But we've had other challenges, you know, building something from scratch when there wasn't really anything in the market doing what we were doing has been challenging. Getting feedback from customers sometimes is challenging because they say, oh no, it's great, we love it. What else would you like it to do? Oh, you know, not 100% sure because we are doing something that's not there already. So they can't say to you, you know, if you're looking at a fintech, for example, what would you like your bank account to do? People are used to working with bank accounts, so it's easy for them to give recommendations, whereas with ours it was different. So getting feedback has been a challenge. And apart from that, just making sure that you, I think for a while we we maybe spread ourselves too thin. So we were thinking that we could work not just with hotels, but across different sectors. And we probably lost a bit of time trying to be everything to everybody so if you're a startup and someone phones you up and says oh I, I'm not a hotelier but I thought your software could do this you go yeah it probably could do that and then it's quite easy to go down a rabbit hole to try and sort something for one person whereas really software as a service generally means that you're looking for volume it's like creating a group that people can buy into to have something at a lower price to make it affordable and so that means you have to be very focused on what that group is and who you're servicing and what you're what value you're creating for them but I think we've I think we've resolved that last year so in 2019 we spent a lot of time who are our customers what value do we create where do we see ourselves in the market and really focusing on who we sell to and and why they should buy our product and seeing starting to say no which as I say as a three-year-old startup is pretty scary because you're saying no to potential business but it's the right thing to do and you talked there about getting the right people in but how do you then get the right people you know it's very easy to advertise a job but how then do you get the right person to walk through the door I think some of it's about time so as I was saying when you're an early stage startup many people won't come and join you because they just see it as too risky Uh, some people come and join you and, and it's fantastic and they're right at that right at that point in time but as you grow a business you maybe need different skills and experience so I think there's a mixture of making sure that you sell your vision and that you're very clear about what you want the culture to be and how you want to be with your customers and your team and then there's also a bit of time so people more senior people have joined us over the past year because they can see that we're growing the business and we're adding customers and that we're very clear on what we do and how we do it and they believe then that they can come in and make a difference to that but yeah people whenever I speak to anybody in the same situation as me in any business whether it's big or small getting the right people in place is probably the biggest challenge we all face. And the tourism industry is growing as many more people are travelling and taking leisure time. In fact, Britain will have a tourism industry worth over £257 by 2025. Do you see it continuing to grow? 
I think we've obviously got to sort out sustainability issues and make sure that we offer an experience that isn't about a treadmill. And I think the amazing thing about Scotland and the UK is that we can disperse people. So if you think about London and Edinburgh being hubs, but actually there's amazing things to see in the north of Scotland and in Wales and Ireland. So it's about making sure that we can spread people about so that you don't have these huge blockages, you know, like poor sky being closed because there just wasn't enough space for one more camper van. But I think there is space for growth. I think there's more competition, particularly in the hotel sector, particularly what's happened with the financial crisis. The financial crisis is now 12 years ago, and yet it's still playing into what happens to money in the world. And so property is seen as a safe investment. People are coming into the hotel sector and, and opening hotels when maybe they don't have experience but that has an impact on what everyone else can charge and supply and demand so I can see in the UK we will probably have a point where profitability in hotels falls slightly as more supply comes on but I think the underlying economics of the sector are strong people want to travel and so we should get through that and in the global economy tourism in itself when you look at the growth of the middle class in China the same in India different places people wanting to travel that underpins the economics of of tourism for the next long period of time as long as we can make it sustainable because I think people care about that now and you mentioned there having a lot of competition particularly in the hotel sector and I know Crichton's different in the fact that it's kind of more tech-based than being a hotel itself. But what do you think that Crichton does to differentiate itself from competitors? Well, to, when we started, as I say, there, was, there wasn't really anyone doing exactly the same as us because we're, we're about helping hotels consolidate all their technology into one place. But we do have competition now and in a way that's pleasing because it shows there's a market and actually from a from a hotelier's perspective, it's quite good to be able to look at different solutions and figure out what works for them. I think where we differentiate ourselves is I have come out of the industry, so I, I have been a hotelier, I understand what challenges you're facing and how we can help solve that. And I genuinely think that we're building a solution that offers hoteliers a cost-effective way to offer flexibility to their guests. We're technology agnostic in that we will work with multiple platforms to make it easier for a hotel to choose the technology they want to work with whereas some people who have built technology similar to ours software similar to ours are prescriptive in the other technologies that need to be used so hopefully the flexibility that we offer will stand us in good stead and it's clear so far that you're really passionate about the tourism industry and you love working in it so you work with the Culture and People Advisory Board, which is about supporting the industry. Why is it important for you to support the industry that you operate in? Well, I guess, like I said, at the Business Centre Association time, if you are running a business in a sector, I feel that you have to give back at some point. You must make sure that you are adding value and supporting and, and actually building a community of people because if things go wrong, so... If something was to happen where we started to get a bad rep with government, for example, having a community of people who can go and educate government or educate whoever needs to be educated 
you can't just bring people together like that. You must have that underlying group and community. And so getting involved in community groups means that you already have a network of folk that you can rely on in extreme situations where there might be a crisis, whether that's reputation or whatever it comes to. So that that's why I tend to always be involved in some sort of sector-wide group so that I can give back and also stay up to date with what's going on in the sector. And we've talked a lot about work in the wider community and one area that we haven't yet mentioned is female entrepreneurship and currently one in three entrepreneurs in the UK are female which means that female entrepreneurs are still in the minority. What gave you the confidence to set up Crichton as a female entrepreneur? I guess really the confidence came from having been in the sector and I don't think that's a specific female male thing it I just had the experience of being in the sector I think as a woman we we do have some challenges that are female specific and when you look at the amount of money that's raised and how long it takes women in particular to raise money there's definitely a, a risk appetite that's less than potentially our male counterparts but I went and raised money and I was quite specific about what I wanted to do with it. So it's hard to say exactly how my journey has been different because of being a female. I think the main thing was I really tried to mitigate any risk. So I sold my house in Edinburgh, for example, and, and moved to Ely to my holiday home so that I knew that I didn't I wouldn't take a salary for a set amount of time. And I think maybe some of my male counterparts might have done that differently. And when you look at the, there's some great statistics. I'm an ambassador for Women's Enterprise Scotland. And as a self-employed woman, we pay ourselves generally 33% less than our male counterparts. And, And that's just something that I would say fundamentally every woman I know is we don't pay ourselves enough <laughs> and it's frustrating because when you, when I saw that statistic I kind of smacked my head a bit and went don't yep that's probably true so confidence came from knowing the sector but I still think there's some things I did that are different to what my male counterparts might have done. And you mentioned there that you're the director of Women in Tourism, where the founding principles are, and I quote here, to inspire, motivate, encourage and support women across the sector while advocating for greater gender balance across leadership within the industry. Why was it important for you to take on this role? So I met the chair of Women in Tourism, Susan Russell, when I was doing a destination leadership programme when I was running Lateral City. And our group of 20 was pretty much half and half. I think maybe 55% women in the group, learning group. And yet whenever we went somewhere in panels and conferences, we were being talked to by men. So it was men on panels, men coming to present to us. And yet we knew that there is a predominance of females in the industry. But when you get to the top, there's very few women in in board positions. And we felt that that was wrong and we wanted to change it. And so we set up Women in Tourism to try and help people feel that they could get on and they had access to other women who were in board positions. And we do a bit of mentoring and we do support and we build a collegiate environment where women can feel safe to say I'm facing this problem or is this quite right you know have you come across this before and you know we've had amazing success with our top 100 women in um, tourism across the UK that was 
very exciting to launch and I think we're doing good things and it is the same women in tourism and women's enterprise Scotland it's about providing real models so not role models of course role models are important but actually if someone meets me I want them to say well if Julie can do it I can do it because I'm not some big Harvard graduate you know who started Google I'm just a woman who's Scottish who had an idea and started a business and I've got it to a certain stage and if I can do it really genuinely anyone can whether you're male or female and that's that's why I do it is to provide that sort of real model environment. And I'm sure throughout your career you've inspired a lot of people but I want to know who inspires you and who are your role models? Oh I have so many. I mean I guess I was fortunate as I was coming up through my career that I had quite a lot of female bosses which is was generally you know we're talking 25 years ago now. So my bosses I was coming up were very supportive and also gave me some great advice you know how to dress how to act so as I came up through my career they were really supportive of me and I also had a couple of male mentors who were the same but I one of my really good friends is a woman called Catherine Lomberg and she ran a big publishing conferencing business in London and that was the group owner of Abbey Business Centre when I took over and she was a huge support to me and remains a really great friend and when we talk she so she lives in France when we talk half of the conversation will be about our life and how things are going and family and all that sort of thing the other half will be about the business because she's still mentoring me and giving me her experience I guess I look at women who are breaking through, doing something different, prepared to put their hand up, put their head above the parapet. So, you know, it's a bit of a cliche, but I love that Michelle Obama has stood by the most powerful man in the world, arguably at some point as first lady, but has really used that position to make a difference and continue to make a difference and actually show her daughters and women generally that you can do whatever you want you know it's really about putting your mind to it and having courage to get on and and do that so loads of different different role models but those two I would pick out as people I look up to still well they're both great role models and um, I read in an article you wrote and you mentioned juggling a work-life balance you know with working and going to the gym and spending time with family and friends it can be hard to do everything that you feel you need to do. So how have you learned to establish a work-life balance if you have? And how important do you think it is to do that? Well, I definitely haven't got it right yet. I think if I was to look back, the only advice, not the only advice, but one of the pieces of advice I would give to myself is that startup is a marathon, it's not a sprint. So last year when I wrote that article, I literally got to the point where I was exhausted. I put on weight, I was eating terribly, I wasn't doing any exercise. I wasn't sleeping properly. I felt really unhealthy and that I wasn't giving myself the best opportunity in the business. And so I had to change. In fact, it's now 2018. So it was the middle of 2018. I started to have chest pains and I thought, oh, for goodness sake, you know. So I made a a change to my life and I started going to the gym two or three times a week. So I try now to do 150 minutes of exercise a week and I get up super early to do that. But that, of course, then had the impact of perhaps seeing my husband less because that meant I had to drive to work, which meant I'd go home later. And so then I would get home and open my laptop. <laughs> and and I've had to stop doing that because actually I realised I'm not great on my laptop at that time of night either. 
but really that's the time that I have to spend with my husband and at the weekends. So I think it's about understanding that you have to make compromises, but that you can't compromise yourself. And what I try and do with friends and family that I don't see enough is make sure that I'm in touch when I can be, but that when I go and spend time with them, that I'm in the room. So I'm actually, phone is away, I'm focused on them and the time I have is quality time and it's not perfect, but it's as good as I can give just now and I just appreciate the people who put up with that. And my friends and family are hugely supportive of it, but still it feels like compromises everywhere. And I think if you're not able to accept that, you'll find this sort of part time in business very, very hard. And I think there's a shift towards that now with lots of people trying to be more present instead of on our phones or on technology and being in one place, but our minds in the other, we're trying to shift away from that and go back to kind of, oh, I'm here now and I'm focusing on what I'm doing. So what are your goals for this year? Well, I mean, personally, it's about maintaining exercise and time with family and friends. I've recently lost my dad and that means that there has to be a bit of a change in how I spend time with my mum. So there's going to be more focus on that and that will involve compromise, but I'm ready to do that. From a business perspective, the goal is very much about driving sales and making sure that we're offering our customers the very best that we can be. So it's a big step change for us this year. We've got a new product out and taking it to market is completely our focus and getting feedback. And then later in the year, I'll be looking to raise some more money. So it's going to be a year of two halves. First half will be complete focus on sales. Second half will be out speaking to the market and looking for our next investment. Well, thank you very much. I think that we've uh, learned a lot about you. You've achieved a lot. And I think you've inspired a lot of people along the way with your work uh, for Princess Trust and the Merchant Company and various other organisations. So thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much. Next week, our guest is entrepreneur Roy Hotner-Bravon of Player Data. Trying to teach someone who shares the same drive uh, that you share, um, and, and it comes—it's it's very natural. It's it, yeah, it was—it was a fantastic time because she, she went from never having picked up a bow in her life to competing for Scotland in something like seven months through that shared passion. You can download Pioneering People wherever you listen to your podcasts. But for exclusive, interactive, immersive content, download the Entail app for iOS and Android. If you like what you heard, please rate and review Pioneering People and help other listeners discover us too. This is a Laudable production. You can find out more about Laudable and its other local podcasts by following us on social media. On Twitter, where we are at Laudable Pods, and Instagram by searching for Laudable underscore podcasts.